0: hey guys welcome to episode 17 of the mysterious benedict society read aloud podcast book 2 today we'll be reading chapter 17 but first a go of chapter 16 but before we get into the book today i wanted to take a moment to thank some very special listeners who've recently sent me some voice messages you guys know who you are and please know i appreciate you so much and getting voice messages from fans makes me so happy to know you enjoy my podcast One of my listeners sent me a concern they had about my podcast, which is great. If you have a concern about anything on my podcast, please tell me. The concern that was given to me this past week was where and when in the week do I post my podcast. The official times I will now be posting every week to the best of my ability are on Mondays and Thursdays at 3 p.m., Now I know my listeners come from all over the world and my release times are based on USA Eastern Time, so it is your challenge to figure out what time I will be posting wherever you are. If you are wondering why I do not post as often as I used to, it is because my life has just become a little busier and I don't have as much time to post as frequently as I used to. Also, right before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to my dyslexic listeners. You guys are awesome and it's so glad you found out a way to read books that otherwise might have been a little tough for you. One more thank you to all of my listeners for choosing to listen to my podcast. If any of you would like to send in a voice message, I would truly love the feedback, and you can do that using the link included in my show notes. I could even include your message in one of my later episodes, but I do need your permission, so if that is something you might like Please tell me if it is or is not okay to share your message. Okay, wow, that was a lot. And now it's finally time to go to our summary. Enjoy the episode. Okay, this is the recap of chapter 16. When the children went up to the roof to see what Milligan was doing, they discovered him watching a tin man who seemed to be guarding a boathouse with a prisoner in it. The children and Milligan made a plan to get to the prisoner because he could have valuable information about Mr. Benedict and number two. When the plan went into effect, the children were able to get inside the boathouse and talk to the prisoner. At first the prisoner was hesitant to talk, but once Rennie put a diamond in the deal, which he didn't know was fake, the prisoner began to tell them where he took Mr. Benedict and number two. He also gave them a secret message, follow the wind. So of course that is going to be the next chapter name. Let's do it. Let's read chapter 17. Chapter 17. Follow the Wind. If the children had given Milligan a headache before, what he was experiencing now was something like the flu combined with the toothache, with locked on, mumps thrown in for good measure. In other words, Milligan was suffering. Not only had the children disobeyed him, they made no bones after continuing to do so as they seemed necessary. Milligan was at a loss. He had a great deal of experience as a father, much less as a guardian to children not his own, and he found himself sorely lacking now in their pertinent skills. To be fair, not many parents would know what to do, not in this situation, not with these children. After they told him what they'd learned from Risker, who had wasted no time heading home for a hot meal and a dry clothes, Milligan said he would make arrangements for their safe return to Stonetown. He would go on the island himself, he said, but the children had argued and argued and argued. And the trouble was, he thought they had a point. And as a team, they were probably better qualified than Milligan to solve whatever riddles and clues Mr. Benedict had left behind. And who knew how many more there might be? Especially since Mr. Benedict would have created them with the children particularly in mind. If you don't bring us along, Kate was saying, we'll just find a way to follow you there. The best thing from a father's standpoint would be to keep us close so you can protect us. Milligan closed his eyes and began knocking his head against the wall of the boathouse. "'It isn't like we want to encounter another tin man,' Rennie hesitated in his mind, to remind him. "'Much less Mr. Curtin. I'd be very happy never to see that man again. "'We just want to make sure you can rescue Mr. Benedict and number two before it's too late.' "'Which is tomorrow,' Sticky pointed out. "'Tomorrow is too late!' "'Please, Millian," said Constance, who so rarely said please that Milligan felt disoriented to hear it coming from her mouth. "'Please, you have to let us come. We're their best chance.' "'But how can I trust you?' Millian said, exasperated. "'How do I know you'll do exactly what I say? It's the only way I can keep you safe. "'And that's my top priority here, keeping you safe. Not just Kate, but all of you.' "'We'll make a solemn promise,' Rennie said. "'If you let us come, we'll promise to obey you completely.' He looked at the others. Right? We really will. So long as you promise not to exclude us, Kate said to Milligan. If there is no direct danger and we can help you, you have to let us. If you promise to do that, I'll promise to obey you. No matter what, Milligan said doubtfully. No matter what, the children said together. Milligan studied their faces. What if I tell you to stop whatever you're doing, drop to the ground, and pretend to be pigs? Then we root around for grubs, Rennie said. "'We grunt and smell bad,' said Constance. "'Do you mean federal pigs or domesticated pigs?' "'Sticky asked. "'Because you know their behavior patterns are considerably—' "'He trailed off. "'Milligan was staring hard at him. "'Sticky cleared his throat. "'Not that I would ask that question then. "'I'd be too busy snuffling and oinking.' "'Milligan continued to stare hard, and not just at Sticky. "'He looked down the light children, "'gazing into the eyes of every single one, "'until he felt certain they really were committed to obeying him.' make the promise. We promise, the children said together. Milligan took off his hat and rubbed his head. He felt somehow that it was a wrong thing to agree, but he also suspected he'd feel the same way if he didn't agree. And just as Kate had said, at least this way he could take an eye on them. Fine, I promise too, Milligan said, putting his hat back on. So let's waste no more time. I need to make a few calls and find transportation. Sit tight, everyone, and I'll be back soon with our ride." Their ride turned out to be a bright silver seaplane. The children, who had expected a boat, stood outside the boathouse and gaped at the plane, came puttering across the harbor with Milligan at the controls, the sun glinting off its wings so that they had to shield their eyes. Constance had been right. The downpour never occurred and clouds had blown over. Milligan turned the plane to the last moment so that its tail swung round. Its propeller faced the harbor, and its left platoon gently nudged the dock. He threw open the door and shouted for them to jump in. A plane, Kate said as she scrambled aboard, her eyes sparkling with delight. You got us a plane? Did you expect horses, Milligan said. It's an island, you know. The others clambered aboard and strapped themselves in. Milligan checked the instrument panel, made sure the children were secure, then steered the seaplane out into the harbor, where a crew of fishermen waved from their boat as the plane roared past. Renny saw them through the window, but he couldn't wave back. His hands were squeezing the armrests of his seat, and he couldn't seem to loosen them. He'd never flown in an airplane before, nor had Sticky, who was polishing his spectacles with slippery, sweaty fingers, or Constance, whose eyes were tightly shut. Only Kate managed to wave at the fisherman, and she did so with both hands, trying to make up for her rude friends. The plane accelerated until finally, with a stomach-dropping lurch, it lifted off the water and into the air. They were up and away. Constance didn't open her eyes again, for no sooner were they airborne than the plane's vibration put her to sleep. "'But the others stayed awake, pressing Milligan for details. "'How in the world had he gotten a plane so quickly? "'What were the calls he needed to make? "'Was one of them to Rhonda? "'Who else? "'And why did he go off by himself to make those calls anyway? "'Soon did the children know more about it, and wouldn't?' "'Milligan chose not to reply to most of their questions, "'thereby answering the one about whether they should know more. "'But he did say that Rhonda had called "'and told her to pass along the word that the children were fine.' And yes, Milligan could confirm that the Washingtons and Miss Permal and her mother had been in a state of near panic since the children sneaked away. And yes, they were being big trouble when they got home. Huge trouble, in fact. But since this paled in comparison to the danger they might face on the island, he suggested they concentrate on surviving the next 24 hours. Speaking of which, Milligan said, checking his watch, three more should bring us there. Reddy knew something of geography and had seen Risker's map, so he knew their destination lay in the North Sea, not far off the coast of Scotland. And Sticky, who knew a great deal more, said the island was untamed on the maps he'd seen of the region. In fact, it rarely appeared on maps at all, and had never been focus on any of the territorial disputes. To the rest of the world, apparently, the island was of no consequence. Yet to Milligan and the children, it was now the most important place on Earth." For a long time they flew in silence, everyone lost in thought. So much had happened in such a short time, there had been little chance to reflect upon any of it. Rennie, for one, was contemplating the events of the day in order, trying to determine if anything had gone overlooked. Eventually, after more than an hour passed, he did think of something, an obvious question he had neglected to ask. Milligan, Rennie said, do you have any idea who the person is Mr. Benedict mentioned? I mean the one who supposedly knows about the duck's work? I can't think of anyone closer to Mr. Benedict than Ronda or number 2, but neither of them knows. And you said you don't know, so who could it be? Do you think it's a trick of some kind? I have no idea who it might be, Milligan replied, but I believe the person exists. In his letter, Kern said he was positive Mr. Benedict was telling the truth. Well, I know what that's about. A group of ten men recently broke into a laboratory and stole a rare chemical compound, a new kind of truth serum. It was only enough for a few doses, but I'm sure Curtin used at least one of those on Mr. Benedict. "'If that's true, then why didn't Mr. Benedict give the information outright?' he asked. "'Why this mysterious business about someone extremely close to him?' "'The truth serum is tricky. A single drop will make you answer questions truthfully, but it's only effective for a minute. If a person were clever enough—and we all know Mr. Benedict is clever as they come—' He might anticipate the questions and invent responses that are sensibly true, but too vague to be meaningful. I imagine this is why Mr. Kern is holding Mr. Benedict number two for ransom. His serum is short supply, so he's trying a different tactic. "'So what if—' Kate began—' Milligan interrupted her. "'Listen, all of you. I can't answer any more questions right now. If you must talk, talk among yourselves. There appears to be a bit of a mechanical issue with this plane. Nothing serious, but I do need to concentrate.' "'Oh, good grief,' said Kate, heaving a sigh. "'She turned to the boys. "'All right, I suppose we—' "'Hey, what's the matter with you two? "'An issue,' Stiggy mumbled, his lips barely moving. "'He said—' "'There's an issue?' "'Kate rolled her eyes. "'Calm down. "'He's probably just trying to make us stop asking questions. "'There's obviously something he doesn't want us to know. "'So fine. "'Let's think about Mr. Benedict's clue. "'What do you suppose follow the wind means?' "'A mechanical issue,' said Rennie, putting his hands on his head. "'With the plane,' said Suki. "'Snap out of it,' said Kate, and she badgered the boys mercilessly until they did. At least enough to have a conversation. Though they kept watching Milligan's face for signs of distress. He seemed untroubled, but then again Milligan was a sphinx-like in a crisis. He might appear untroubled even if the wings had fallen off. "'Follow the wind,' Kate repeated when she had their attention. "'What do you think it means?' Which wind did he have in mind, and follow it where? It might not be an actual wind, Rennie pointed out. It might be a symbol of some kind. At the very least, Sticky said, we know we'll be heading east. Kate and Rennie looked at him in surprise. Milligan in the pilot's seat perked up his ears. I didn't tell you, Sticky said when he saw their expressions. No, I guess I didn't. Sorry, we've been busy. Tell us what, asked Kate. Hondi Rijandir's letter said that this island is a strong wind blows out of the west, from sunrise to sunset every day. The villagers told him it had always been that way. It's a curious phenomenon. He suspected it was a combination of tidal forces and thermal activity under the island, though personally I suspect. Did you just say villagers? interrupted Rennie, remembering why it was so often better for Sticky to quote things than to summarize them. With so many details to choose from, Sticky sometimes failed to recognize the significance of a particular one. This time, Sticky hadn't left out much. Yes, there used to be a village on the island, he said, though at a time, Han de Rijindjer wrote the letter and rapidly losing its inhabitants. The villagers were foregoing that isolated, wind-blasted place for the conveniences, electricity and plumbing, for instance, of the mainland. Han had predicted that within a few years, the island would be home to only mountain goats and cliff swallows. "'Sounds like there are mountains, then,' Rennie observed. "'How do you know that?' Kate asked, then blushed and laughed. "'Oh, right, mountain goats, cliff swallows. "'Well, it sounds perfectly charming.' Two hours later, they saw the island for themselves, "'a very large, oblong landmass in the middle of a watery nowhere. "'From a distance, it had notably two-faced appearance, "'for the late evening sun bathed in western half in a soft yellow light, "'while this small central mountain range blocked the sun from the eastern half.' regulating that part to something like dusk. The low mountains, of which there were exactly three, ran from south to north in the middle of the island and were dotted sparsely with trees. Seen from above, they gave the island the look of some monstrous, unfathomable beast. Its head and tail submerged, its spiny back spotted with moss. To avoid notice, Milligan had approached at a great height, and as the plane flew over the island, he and Kate used their spyglasses to survey the terrain, while the boys craned their necks and squinted to see what they could. A few miles across, and perhaps twice as long, the island contained such a variety of landscapes it would have made it for an excellent geography lesson. West of the mountains it was divided into three easily distinguished regions. The southwest, which was given to the meadow, the northwest, which was all thicket and scrub brush, and between them a belt of woodland that ran almost all the way to the western shore. Even east of the mountains the island consisted mostly of an exposed plain of black rock with the exception of a little forest that ranged along the shore of a large southeastern bay. Unfortunately, even with the spyglasses, Kate and Milligan observed nothing more than those geography features. No movement in the open, no boats anchored in the bay, no sign of any encampment anywhere. They searched in vain for telltale wisps of campfire smoke, and although the abandoned village was an easy to spot, it lay just west of the mountains at the edge of the woodland. There was nothing in it to suggest recent human activity. Nevertheless, everyone in the plane had the powerful feeling that there was something down there on the island, and that this was indeed the place where their journey, for better or for worse, would come to an end. That bay to the southeast must be where Risker took them ashore, Kate said. It looks just like the one he drew on his map. That's exactly where we're headed, said Milligan, already turning the plane. At any rate, it's the only good place to bring the plane down. "'Now hang on, everyone. "'I'll be making a quick descent to lessen our chances of being spotted.' "'When you say quick descent,' Rennie said, "'what exactly?' "'The plane suddenly plummeted downward so fast and at such a steep angle "'that the children felt as if they'd gone over a waterfall. "'Rennie was convinced Milligan had lost control. "'His heart rose into his throat and he wondered "'whether the plane would smash to bits on the water's surface "'or plunge straight to the bottom of the bay. "'Sticky was wondering the same thing, "'tried desperately to faint from terror.' But it is in the nature of a quick descent to end quickly, one way or another, and only a few moments later the planes' platoons were skimming the water. Milligan had brought the plane down just at the mouth of the bay, passing between lone stony hills on either side and heading toward the bay's interior shore. The shoreline there was lined with trees, the edge of the little forest they'd seen from above, and as the plane drew nearer he scoured the trees with a spyglass. The approach took a couple of minutes, for the wind was against them and the water was choppy, and by the time the plane had glided into the shallows and run partly up onto the shore, Milligan was satisfied no ambush awaited them. Other than a few birds, beetles, and rodents, the forest was empty. Everyone out, he ordered, quick now. Kate woke Constance, who stared at the rocky shoreline and the trees in groggy amazement. To her it seemed as if the harbour in had been magically transformed, and the children scrambled from the plain into the chill breeze. Milligan was already out, rigging a cable around the winged strut with a wing, with the quick, sure movements, then hurrying to the nearest tree. He had produced a set of pulleys and winches, and using these he began dragging the seaplane up onto the shore. He had only to draw it a few yards before it lay in the shadow of the trees. The trees did not lack for shadow, with the sun behind the mountains, this part of the island, lay in a sort of semi-dusk, and it was growing darker by the moment. In the forest, the air was even gloomier and spookier. "'Do I smell gasoline?' said Kate, her nostrils flaring. Now that she mentioned it, the other children smell gasoline, too. When Milligan didn't answer, they looked at one another with concern. "'You mean there really is something wrong with the plane?' asked Sticky, who'd been hoping Kate was right about Milligan, just trying to keep them quiet. "'Doesn't matter,' Milligan said, grunting with effort. He wiped sweat from his eyes and continued working at his winch. We won't be leaving by plane. The important thing now is to get it out of sight. He went back into the plane and emerged carrying a large, camouflage-patterned tarpaulin. "'Did you just say we won't be leaving by plane?' asked Rennie. "'You need to stop asking questions now,' Milligan said, rolling the tarpaulin. "'But how will we get off the island?' asked Constance. Milligan frowned. "'I said you need to ask stopping questions. Remember your promise.' Technically, you didn't order us to stop, Rennie pointed out, then quickly added. And before you do, you should consider how anxious you've just made us by telling us what you just did. It's going to be hard for us to think about anything else, you know. At first, Milligan made no reply to this. He climbed up and dragged the tarpaulin over the plane, passing it securely on all sides so the brisk wind wouldn't carry it off. From a distance, it would blend fairly well into the background of the trees and rocks. Milligan came to stand before the children again. Listen to me, all of you. You need not worry about getting off the island. I've already made other arrangements. As soon as we've determined where Kern has our friends, I'm sending you away. Now please don't ask any more questions about it. That's a direct order. Can we ask why we can't ask more questions about it? So, asked Constance. Because that part seems unclear to me. Milligan grimaced, took off his hat, and rubbed his head. He obviously hated it. what was about to say, and I'd hoped to avoid saying it. "'Because, Constance, in a worst-case scenario—but which I mean if you are captured—it would be best for you to know as little as possible. Curtin will surely get you out of anything if you're trying to keep secret. I prefer, therefore, to limit your secrets.' "'Oh,' said Constance, her eyes very wide. "'I don't intend to let that happen,' Milligan said quickly. "'I'm just being cautious.' "'Milligan,' Rennie said. "'Can I ask if these arrangements—' "'Involve the government,' Milligan finished, correctly guessing what Rennie was worried about.' "'No, they do not. I've enlisted the aid of some personal friends. If Kern has spies in the government, and I thought it is best to assume he does, they don't know anything about it. Nothing's foolproof, but I promise I've done everything I can to avoid tipping him off. You can trust me, you know, Rennie.' "'I do trust you,' said Rennie, which was perfectly true. Milligan was one of the few people he did trust. "'All right,' Milligan said, clapping his hat down on his head again. "'Then let's see about following the wind.' We can not be expected to head east, as Sticky suggested. That would only take us out to sea. Sticky looked disappointed. Well, maybe we're supposed to head upwind instead of downwind. Everyone fell silent, pondering the clue. It was the first time since they'd arrived that no one was talking, or, in Milligan's case, working. And as they stood there, they slowly became aware of the island's sounds. Wind flapping the edges of Milligan's tarplin and slushing in the boughs of the trees, tree trunks groaning and creaking as they swayed. Birds chittering and fluttering as they settled into their roosts for the night, the bay waters lapping against the shore, and from somewhere in the forest a faint yet unmistakable twinkling sound like that of a chime. <laughs>